You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Lucinda Lanuk. This is the WFHB Local News 4, Thursday, December 9th, 2021. Later in the program, we have the latest edition of Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between WFHB and Medicare for All Indiana. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB correspondent Juliana Daly takes you to the Bob Claywitter Lake Lemon Woods in our recurring segment, Hiking with Julie. But first, your State House Roundup. From WFHB, this is the State House Roundup for Thursday, December 9th, 2021. I'm Benedict Jones. Governor Eric Holcomb says he endorses State Representative Sue Arrington's proposed bill to build an infrastructure system in Indiana for cannabis legalization. According to the preliminary draft, the bill would establish a Cannabis Compliance Commission to regulate all forms of legal cannabis in Indiana, industrial hemp, and low-THC hemp extracts. While this doesn't translate to sweeping cannabis reform, the bill and the endorsement from the Republican governor marks a major pivot for the status of cannabis policy in Indiana. However, it should be noted that although Holcomb says he has no problem with Indiana lawmakers putting the infrastructure in place for cannabis legalization, he still wants to wait until it's legal on the federal level before taking any further steps. Meanwhile, the public largely supports cannabis reform. According to the 2008 Hoosier survey poll, about 80% of Indiana residents support some form of cannabis legalization, while 78% of state residents do not want simple possession to be a crime. According to the Associated Press, half of Indiana's counties are now in the highest risk level of COVID-19 spread. 46 of Indiana's 96 counties are now in the red advisory category, with all other counties except one in the orange advisory category. According to the Indiana State Department of Health's color-coded map, virtually all of the counties in the state's northern third are placed in the red metric score. The state health department says the red advisory category means that the seven-day rolling average lies above 15% or higher and that the total weekly cases per 100,000 residents stands at 200 or more. State health officials says it's the worst surge we've had since last winter. As of Tuesday, an estimated 2,750 Indiana residents are hospitalized with COVID-19, more than double of the patients seen just one month ago. That's all for the State House Roundup. For WFHB News, I'm Lucinda Larnock. The Monroe County Commissioners voted to amend a zoning ordinance for future development at their December 8th meeting. The amendment only affects the development of land greater than five acres. Assistant Director of the Planning Department, Jackie Nestor-Jalen, presented the amendment. So just a quick summary of this text amendment. This is Ordinance 2021-57. It's amendment to Chapter 815, which is Site Plan Review, 
And the request this morning is to add on uh, an addition to allow for phasing of larger projects. So right now we allow for phasing under our subdivision control ordinance. And we also allow for phasing for lands that are zoned plan unit development. Um, the only thing that this leaves out is for uh, properties that are zoned by right, not a plan unit development that do not involve a subdivision are currently left out of the phasing possibility. So we are adding this in to be consistent with other parts of the ordinance. Jalen explained the purpose of the amendment and how the sanctions benefit Monroe County residents. So uh, the, the benefit of phasing for the planning department and for um, the county and the developer is that we can potentially reduce the amount of ground that is disturbed at the initial onset of the project um, if they choose to do so in phases. Um, additionally, it allows us to see the entire scope of the project at once without limiting their ability to occupy uh, structures as they're completed within phases. But it still gives us the protection and the leverage of future phases and future buildings that are tied to later requirements and making sure each phase is standalone by the ordinance. So I talked a little bit about the applicability. They have to be at least five acres. Um, when we're talking about phasing, how we will review this in the planning office is that they're actually going to have both an illustrative map clearly delineating each phase, as well as a combined narrative. So we understand that both of these will be able to be enforceable by the county if and when they get to the point where they're requesting occupancy and a land use certificate from planning. So we think that these two items together will give us um, a strong ability to enforce the ordinance. Commissioner Lee Jones expressed her support for the ordinance. Yeah, I, I think this is a, an excellent amendment to the chapter. It really make sure that, that things go the way they're supposed to, um, which doesn't always happen. So I'm very supportive of this. Commissioner member Julie Thomas said that the amendment would help protect Monroe County residents from things such as stormwater runoff while allowing community members to get projects approved in a timely manner. The amendment passed unanimously. Thomas reminded county residents that applications for Monroe County boards and commissions are available and encouraged individuals who are interested in making the community better to apply. The next county commissioner's meeting will be held on December 15th. Now it's time for the latest edition of Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between WFHB and Medicare for All Indiana. In today's segment, hosts Dr. Rob Stone and Karen Greenstone speak with guest Jim Kahn, Emeritus Professor of Health Policy at the University of California, San Francisco. We turn to our hosts for more. From Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Our guest today is Dr. Jim Kahn, Emeritus Professor of Health Policy at the University of California, San Francisco. 
Dr. Khan is part of a core team of health policy experts who write a blog, Health Justice Monitor, analyzing health policy, healthcare inequity, waste, racial inequities, and the advantages of a single payer financing of healthcare. Welcome, Dr. Khan, and thank you for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me on the show. The October 28th, 2021 issue of Health Justice Monitor was titled, Let the Games End. You wrote, quote, two recent unrelated news stories highlight ways that powerful actors in our healthcare system manipulate complex reimbursement rules and procedures, approaching and crossing legal boundaries, Detecting and stopping abuse in our complex profit-focused system is impossible. We need to end this gaming with a simple fair payment system. There was a story about Kaiser in California, and then the other story was titled, Wall Street is Pressing ER Docs to Fleece Patients. That one got my attention since I was an ER doc at Bloomington Hospital from 1984 to 2012, as many of our listeners know. Dr. Khan, can you talk about that article, perhaps summarize it, and some of the lessons that you have learned or that you think we should understand uh, as we look at the corporatization, the profit mongering going on in our American healthcare system? I'll just start by saying one of the signal features of our healthcare system these days is the role of profit mongering, as you said. And in particular, there's a large and growing involvement of private equity firms. These are, as your listeners no doubt know, these are companies that will come into an industry, buy up assets, invest, manipulate, make a lot of money, and typically leave after a relatively short period of time. The problem with private equity in the healthcare system is that it's removing money from the system that should be used for providing care. And this process of private equity involvement has been particularly pronounced in emergency care, where this was one of the first targets of private equity. And the story is told very well in the article that's referenced in the blog post. It's a Daily Poster article that goes through a lot of the history of the involvement of ACEP, American College of Emergency Physicians, with being in bed with private equity. A lot of the leaders of ACAP had dual roles or went on to work for private equity. And the story focused in particular on the fact that a resolution of one of the members that the private equity owners of these ER or emergency services should share the billing records with doctors so that doctors could verify that these bills were accurate representations of the services they provided was turned down because, according to this report from the ACEP board, this would put the doctors at some potential risk of false claims. In other words, if they're not billing accurately, we don't want to know about it because we don't want to be liable, even though it's done over our name. This is just one particular issue that was focused on in a long history of private equity involvement in emergency care. And let me turn the question back to you, Rob. You've worked for quite a while in emergency departments. How have you seen the the role of private equity appear and evolve over time? 
mostly what I witnessed, because it's been 10 years I've been out of emergency medicine and, and out of the ACEP. What I saw during the 28 years I was working as an ER doctor was that there was like in so many places in healthcare, we saw all this consolidation, doctors into larger and larger groups, but emergency room doctors were kind of interchangeable parts. And so they could work one place one night and they could work another hospital another night. And so large groups grew up within states, but then they started to be interstate groups. And one large group called Team Health based in Florida actually came and looked at buying our group up at one point in the late 80s. But at that time, that was all still privately owned. It's happened subsequently that it's gone from these enlarging groups getting bigger and bigger to now private equity companies coming in and buying the groups and then really aggressively wringing money out of people. And most notorious from this thing called out-of-network billing and surprise bills. Basically, the idea if someone is covered by a health plan is they are strongly encouraged to seek care within network and they may be at an within network facility, but the provider such as the emergency physician and the group that the emergency physician works for may not be part of that network. And there, then there can be a billing to that patient that isn't covered by the in-network agreements. And that can be tremendously onerous for the patient. That's my understanding of how it works. And my understanding is that the private equity companies involved with emergency care fought very vigorously to prevent regulation laws about that and for a while succeeded. I think in 2018 or so, the public outcry was so powerful that there was some legislation passed. We have seen similar things happen in the nursing home industry where nursing homes aggregated into chains, and then they were bought by publicly traded companies. And then those were in turn bought by private equity companies. And just what you were saying, you know, they buy these things up, they extract money one way or another. It, it feels a little bit like a rapacious commodity exchange where you look for the opportunities to buy the commodity, which in, in this instance is a medical provider and then see what you can do to then increase the value and sell it. We have covered in Health Justice Monitor the tactic of ratcheting up the severity code or the risk adjustment. And what's happening now is that private equity companies are buying up both the insurer and by way of vertical integration, the provider. So they're getting a much higher monthly payments and they would be unable to keep that money because of regulations on how much profit they're allowed to make, except they cleverly then say, well, we'll buy up the doctor's offices and we'll pay the doctor's offices more. And there are no regulations on how much profit you can keep from the doctor's office. So they have this whole little environment that they create that allows them to basically overcharge Medicare to the tunes of tens of billions of dollars, what that does is makes Medicare less affordable for the government and also less affordable for people enrolled in Medicare and ultimately will increase pressures to substantially change Medicare because the Medicare trust fund will be depleted. However, the good news is a bunch of rich investors will be a heck of a lot richer. 
<laughs> That's the good news. In this darkness, I'm going to go back to where when I quoted at the start from your summary from that October 28th issue, where you said, detecting and stopping abuse in our complex profit-focused system is impossible. We need to end this gaming with a simple, fair payment system. Dr. Jim Kahn, what is your prescription for healthcare? My prescription for healthcare is a single payer using mechanisms of payment that are resistant to gaming. For example, under single payer healthcare financing, hospitals would be paid a global budget, and that includes the emergency departments. So under single payer, the hospital would hire doctors to work in the emergency department and pay them a good salary. There would be no billing for specific patients. Instead, the hospital would have an overall budget that represents what they've been needing to spend over the years, continued forward and adjusted for any important changes in healthcare needs of the community. It's a much simpler system. It saves on the order of 6 to 8% of the hospital budget, which is dedicated to billing functions, and it reduces and eliminates all of this gaming. The virtue of single-payer, often known as Medicare for All, is its simplicity. Everyone's covered with the same insurance. Everyone can go to any doctor. Every doctor is paid the same amount for seeing a patient, regardless of who that patient is. In today's health system or non-system, as you like, the payment for a private patient might be $150. For a Medicare patient, might be $110. For a Medicaid patient, so Medicaid is a program for the poor, might be only $60. That doctor has a real incentive to try to get more of the private patients. Under a single payer, there would be a blended rate. And again, everyone, every patient would have the same insurance, and the payments would be the same. This is not hypothetical. There are more than 30 countries in the OECD, that's the Organization of Wealthy Countries, that have either a single payer or some other way to give everyone exactly the same insurance. And the result is they spend less, patients are happier, doctors are happier, and their longevity is quite a bit more than in the United States. I think that's where we need to go. I agree. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Khan, for talking with us today. If you'd like to subscribe to Health Justice Monitor, go to healthjusticemonitor.org. For WFHB Community Radio in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Prescription for Healthcare. To your good health, everyone. Up next, WFHB correspondent Juliana Daly takes you to the Bob Claywitter Lake Lemon Woods in our recurring segment, Hiking with Julie. Hello, everyone. This is Juliana Daly. Uh, you know me from Eco Report that airs on WFHB. 
on Thursdays from 1130 to noon. Today I'm taking you on one of those walks that I like to go on. Today we're going to do the Bob Claywitter Lake Lemon Woods area preserve, which um, was put together by the Sycamore Land Trust. And I'd like to quote from the magazine that the Sycamore Land Trust put together because the quote is very, very important. The preserve is named in thanks for a gift from, from Protect Our Woods in memory of Bob Claywitter, who fought for forest health and preservation as if his own depended upon it, which he truly believed. So anyway, I'm going to get going and we're going to see what we can see. When you walk out, it's uh, very, very wooded, and there's lots and lots of leaves on the ground, and the trail is um, marked by arrows on the trees. The first thing you see is a little hut that gives you some information about Lake Lemon Woods. So we're going to start uh, following the arrows and see where it takes us. There are lots and lots of beech trees, and I mean a lot of them. <laughs> I'd say it's the dominant, it's a very dominant forest in beech. And the leaves are all off the trees, so everything's on the ground. Are you one of those people that when you're walking in leaves, you like to kick them so that they make lots of noise? <laughs> well, that's what we're doing right now. We're kicking through the leaves, making lots of noise. We're coming up on a gully, a big gully. Lots of water has gone through it at some point. There's a little bit of water in it, but not very much. But a small amount, and we're supposed to cross the gully, and they have put a very small amount of rocks across the gully. Because I can't see very well, I'm going to very carefully make my way across the rocks, and hopefully I won't fall. Well, we made it across the gully, and here's another arrow, so I think we're going in the right direction. We're starting to climb, and as I've said before, lots and lots of leaves. And if you turn around as you're walking on the trail, you actually can see the lake. It's very, very pretty. It's a gorgeous day, and the sun is shining, and the water is, you can see the glint of the sun on the water. It's shimmering. It's very, very, very beautiful. There's some oak trees in here, too. I can tell because I'm not good at identifying bark, but the leaves are all over the ground. So definitely oak and tons and tons of more beech trees. I have come to a very steep ravine. We're not crossing it right now. Maybe we will in a few moments. But right now, I'm just looking down into the ravine. It is very, very deep. And, uh, of course, it's covered in leaves, and there's vines hanging down off of the beech trees. It looks like somebody might have tried to swing on one. Did you used to do that when you were a kid, swing on vines? I think you heard me tell you before, I grew up in Georgia, and we had kudzu in our yard. And, boy, did I love to swing on kudzu vines. I was like a little Tarzan girl. What I'm walking on now is a trail that is up on top of uh, the hill of two ravines and uh, on either side, both of them very, very deep. And I'm following the ridge along the top in between those two ravines. 
And we're gonna we're going downhill now. Remember we were going uphill a while ago. Now we're going downhill. So I'm gonna see where we end up going. Well, I don't know if you can hear it, but a pileated woodpecker is carrying on out there in the woods. I love those birds. You have to be kind of careful walking along this ridge because there's so many leaves and uh, the roots from the um, beech trees stick up and you can't really see them. So you have to be very, very careful. We're coming down off of our ridge and I'm coming down through the leaves and it looks like we're going to be walking across a small little boardwalk here. Walking across the boardwalk, and it looks like uh, we're going to be coming back out onto the road. Well, maybe not. Well, let's see where it goes. Yep, it brought me back out here to the road. So I'm going to walk back to my car, and I think there's another trail that goes in another direction. So I'm going to go back and check it out and see if we want to do it or not. Hang on. I'm watching a woodpecker right now up in the tree. It's not the pileated. It's just a little downy, and he's working away on a limb up in one of the trees. It looks like it might be a dead tree, and uh, he's probably looking for some something to eat. So looking at the map a little bit more involved, there's two arrows pointing in different directions. We went to the left. So I'm gonna take the one to the right, and see what we see on this part of the trail. There's a lot more trails out here. We're not gonna do all of them, but I'm gonna take another one and see where it goes. We're up on top of another ridge and a huge ravine. Oh my goodness, looking over the edge. <laughs> I would hate to slip on these leaves and fall cause it's a long ways down. And the ridge on the other side that goes up even higher it's really high, so there's some really steep ridges out here. Well, I'm gonna to have to be honest with you. I can't find the trail. The leaves are so dense and the markings are not real apparent. I don't think I'm on a trail right now, so I'm kind of wandering around in these woods out here. So um, I'm gonna start going in another direction and see where it goes. You know, the leaves are very, very thick and trail maintenance hasn't been done because of all the leaves falling. So if you come out here, be careful. I think what I'm following right now is a deer trail. <laughs> um, I'm one of those people that actually likes to go out into the woods where there are no trails. And I tend to follow the deer trails and see where they take me. And so I'm following one of those right now. And um, I'm gonna see where it takes me. I've come to a stop at the top of a hill and I'm looking out over the lake. I can actually see my car, so I'm not worried about getting lost. But there are no trail markers and no tr signs of a trail anywhere. So uh, we're just walking around out here in the woods and they are very, very pretty. I can just imagine what this is like in the spring and in the summer. Probably a very cooling effect takes place because of all these trees. Not any wildlife out here except for the few birds that I've seen, but if you want a nice, quiet, very quiet place to walk and meditate, I highly recommend coming here. I'm going to head back to my car now. I hope you've enjoyed my walk. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. 
MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Kate Young and Noel Hahusky schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Karen Greenstone and Rob Stone. Hiking with Julie is produced by Juliana Daly. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Benedict Jones. And I'm Lucinda Larnick. Thanks again for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people, coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local longer 